<laughs> I wouldn't want people to underestimate the paranoia and the need for secrecy that can be present with with this trifix generally. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, okay, sure, I'm going to be spontaneously authentic and I'm going to be in the moment and I'm going to be present and I'm going to talk about what's going on with me inside. It's like, all right, you basically just asked me to bench press 375 pounds. Okay. See you in two years. Welcome to another episode of What It's Like to Be You. I am Josh Levine, your host. Today, I'm interviewing my friend Kier, but before we get into that, I want to give a few plugs. First is for the new Enneagram school that my friend John Lukovich and I have started. We are currently in the middle of our first ever class offering, which presents a new view of the centers of intelligence as a developmental framework, and also combines that with a new understanding of object relations and combines all of that with some inner work. I'm really excited about the school as a place that is going to be facilitating community of people who are um, sincerely dedicated to their inner work. And there's going to be a lot more offerings down the line, so please stay tuned. You can check us out at theenneagramschool.com. Plug number two is for the Enneagram Expressions Library, which you can check out at enneagramexpressions.com. And that is, so the Enneagrammer group has a celebrity database of people they typed, and I took that information and visually displayed it through, if you're familiar with Notion, basically it's a, it's a standalone website that you can interact with the celebrity database in a visual way and you can actually filter views so you can see for example all type threes who are social self-pres or all people who are trifix three five eights and all people who are social sexual instinct and then filter by type there are also sections where you can see everyone who's a that who has been typed that is a writer or everyone who is involved in the arts or everyone who's a business person um, and we've also typed some fictional characters as well the Enneagram Expressions Library also includes sections where you can discover poetry and art and other things like that as resources or sort of by type as resources for you if you are an Enneagram teacher and you're looking for a poem that captures the essence of type three for a retreat that you're giving or a class you're teaching or something like that. I wanted to create some place where we had accurate consolidated resources like that um, that were really useful for teaching. One of my favorite parts of the retreats that I've been a part of that have been really impactful for my personal growth have been the poetry and the art and has actually awakened a relationship with poetry and art that I didn't have prior to those retreats and that way of engaging with poetry and art. So anyway, it's a great resource and check it out, enneagramexpressions.com. Finally, if you are a frequent listener of this show and you've listened to some of these interviews, I would so appreciate it if you liked and subscribed to this YouTube channel, or if you left me a review on the podcast version. There's actually two versions that I could publish this, both as an interview on YouTube and on the podcast, same exact content. So yes, please, uh, it, those kinds of things really, really help. And uh, if you'd be willing, I'd really appreciate it. Okay, let's get into the interview. Today, I'm interviewing a man named Kier, who I met on the Enneagrammer Facebook group, and he reached out to me about six months ago to do an interview. Kier is a social self-pres three wing two with five and eight fixes, so triple rejection adjacent three. And I did an interview with him about six months ago, and I sat with it for a while, and I watched it again recently and emailed him and let him know that I was choosing not to publish it because it just didn't reach the level of interior depth that I'm looking for for this show. 
And what resulted from that was a really amazing email conversation between the two of us that then resulted in the interview that you are about to watch. So I want to say up front that I really respect Kier for accepting my invitation to do another interview and to use this interview as a way to reflect on what happened last time. And I also really respect his willingness and courage to embark on the journey for him, a fresh journey of interior excavation about his type, which we get to, which amazingly we got to capture in real time. So yes, this is a lot of fresh stuff for Kier. And also just want to say up front that it's pretty amazing to see a person, not just of his core type three wing two, but also 358, the particular trifix, which has a lot of secretiveness and hiddenness as core facets of its type structure be willing to expose himself and excavate himself live like this. So it's really special what uh, what came about here and I just really appreciate Kier for doing this. So let's get into it. Without further ado, here's my friend Kier. So this is actually round two of interviews with Kier because we did an interview in July. It's now January, so about six months ago. And I want to set this interview up by just stating the process of how we got here to this moment. So we did an interview and um, I watched it and kind of set it aside for a little while. And then I rewatched it about a week ago and I sent you an email and basically said that I'm choosing not to publish it because my experience of the interview was that we didn't get fully to the level of interior depth that I was hoping. And we stayed kind of the level of talking about profession and some other things. And then we had a really, really interesting and rich email exchange about that topic itself, how the interview came about, why it stayed in that territory. Um, and then it kind of blossomed into some revelations about your trifix 358 and the hiddenness and secrecy of that trifix and the tightrope that you walk and a bunch, a bunch of stuff came out that was really, really rich from an interior looking into under the hood of type three in particular your trifix. So that's kind of a, a, a can of worms to open up right up front, but I thought we'd just start here. And I'd love to just sense first, how are you feeling right now? And um, as we're starting the interview and um, what's it like for you as you, as we, as we begin this part of the conversation talking about the process of uh, getting here. Well, that's a hell of a way to be introduced, Josh. <laughs> well, I have some apprehensiveness about my ability to pull off my part of the conversation simply because mm -hmm. I've come to realize that so much of what I do day to day and so much of the way that I live out my patterns of my personality is seemingly designed in a laboratory to prevent much, if any, reflection on the topics that I was spontaneously willing to share with you over the emails and which I spent uh, 75, 85 minutes in July seemingly preventing you or me from looking at those things seemingly without me even being aware of it. You sort of handed yeah. me the microphone and I refused to say anything that was particularly uh particularly illuminating about my internal life and i and i had an audio recording of the call that we did in july and i listened to uh -huh. it 
three to five times in its entirety. And I just remember thinking once I got past, because I remember saying, and you brought this up in the email and I appreciated that where, and I said, eh, I'll, I'll be disappointed if you don't want to air this. I, I don't know why it even occurred to me in the moment to say that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I, I, I don't, I don't know. But uh, I, I just sort of came to the conclusion that so much of what I was talking about was really insular and narrow to me and that it, it wasn't necessarily saying anything that was that, I guess the sort of subjective inward component was missing as it's missing a lot of the time for me mm -hmm. in, in general. And I mean, that in and of itself is a pretty interesting topic. Right. Yeah. Why do I do that? It's a good one. Yeah. Um, I'm taking a breath and I wanted to just, I wanted to share that. I wanted to share my experience of our email exchange. Hmm. So um, the first, the first, for, from my point of view, when I watched the, when I watched our interview, <clears throat> I actually felt that both of us were kind of in our respective patterns um, a lot. And by that, I mean, you as a three with a triple rejection adjacency thing were presenting as a somewhat impenetrable insularity where there was, um, as you describe, not a lot of interior subjective reflection going on, but there were a lot of interesting analyses and insights that you were making about how you apply the Enneagram in your work and as a trial and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, as a triple attachment three was kind of a little bit just being seaweed in the tide of our conversation and letting you run with that and not constellating myself and asserting myself to open up the conversation and direct it more to interiority. And so I was kind of like going along with things. And so I took some of the blame for that conversation. And then that was the, that was kind of how I led our email. And then you kind of actually called me out in your response. You basically said, you're too kind to take the blame for this because I was also showing up in my pattern. And it opened up a conversation. We had, I don't know, maybe 20 email exchanges after that. And mm -hmm. they were, they kind of sequentially opened up into more and more interiority. And um, I proposed a couple of potential topics for what we might talk about in a redo. You actually asked me pointedly, do I want to do a redo? Because, <laughs> are you just uh, which, I, yeah. which I loved. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, are you just saying that you want to do a redo just because you're being nice? And I was like, I appreciate the question. Actually, I would love to do a redo, but I would want for the conversation to be more subjective and interior. Um, and you were like, okay, cool. Well, that that's possible, but I want to hear the topics in advance and kind of prepare for them. And then, but it seemed kind of like over the course of our email exchange, you opened up and kind of softened to the idea of there being a little bit more spontaneous, um, unprepared reflection um, about what's going on internally for you. And in particular, actually, I was really struck by um, you brought up the topic of why don't we talk about why it's so difficult for me to reveal myself and what the hiddenness and secrecy is in my trifix. And so I was yeah. pretty amazed. Yeah, I was pretty yeah. amazed that that it, all happened. Good. Yeah, totally. Um, and I appreciate all that. And I just remember sort of what I didn't say at the time, but or I was processing it afterwards. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, 
okay, sure, I'm going to be spontaneously authentic and I'm going to be in the moment and I'm going to be present and I'm going to talk about what's going on with me inside. It's like, all right, you mm. basically just asked me to bench press 375 pounds. Okay. <laughs> See you in two years. <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh-huh. it's just, it's, I have a, I really have a hard time being spontaneously authentic in a, in a particular way because so much, like I, it just sort of to, to explain kind of some of how that comes about is like, I really don't spend much time processing my internal state. I, I mm-hmm. really avoid it. Mm-hmm. And the way that I avoid it is through basically constant activity, through constantly, you know, going from thing to thing to thing to task to task to task, just running around doing all of this, like, workaholism, typical stuff that you would probably recognize in, in a stereotypical threes behavior. But I've come to realize that I do so much of that, you know, pattern because I don't want to be present. To, I, I don't want to slow down and I don't and just be with myself. Mm-hmm. because it's just you know who knows what's underneath the cobwebs in there you know yeah and yeah. you know it's sort of like almost like a falsified nine characteristic where it's like i just sort of forget like i, I i'm you know whatever traumatic like conversations i've had like wednesday or thursday i, I can like barely remember them at this point be, other than you know, I remember the emails like in, in our discussions like very vividly, but you know, in my day to day, I just like I don't slow down enough to think about what's happening and, and how I'm feeling about it. I just mm-hmm. don't. And because mm-hmm. I stay in motion, I tend to forget. Like it's like almost like a way of cheating, having to process like painful emotions or rejections or like hurt feelings or whatever. They just don't have a place. Mm-hmm. in the day-to-day world as I've constructed it. And yeah. so I'm hiding it. I'm hiding my inner world from myself to some degree. And the tool that I'm using to do that is just like tons of activity. Right. And, and why would somebody do that? It, it's sort of an interesting question that I've been reflecting on. Yeah. And for, for, for some time now, but certainly specifically since you brought it up or we brought it up a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, man, that's a really, that's a big thread to pull right there. And it is. That's yeah. why, that's why I was saying, you asked me how I'm doing. I'm like, well, I'm feeling a little bit apprehensive because if we can understand this, you know, <laughs> I mean, let's, let's give it a shot. Um, you mentioned in your email, the idea of coming out as a three yeah and and i know that that has context for you in terms of your family history and i don't know if you'd be comfortable sharing a little bit about that to set the context and what the phrase coming out as a three means to you yeah Um, definitely so this is uh so i think this directly ties to what we were just talking about because yeah what you were what you just brought up is sort of why do i not want to go inside and look around in there Mm-hmm. Why yeah. not? And the history, and this ties directly into my uh, type journey, if you will. And I, you know, I used to mistype as a different type because, specifically, because of family that mistyped me as that. As and uh, eight, right? Yeah, and yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I'm going to try to kill multiple birds with one stone here. So, um, my one part of my family, like one side of my family has a really sort of deep history with depression Mm -hmm. and, um, my grandmother, her family is, has had like a lot of like issues with depression. Okay. Okay. And you know her her uh, her mother killed herself in an asylum. Her sister killed herself in an asylum. Like bad bad depression. Okay. Wow. Which we know can be like kind of hereditary. And when I was four years old, I- I'm the oldest. Like on that side of the family, I'm the oldest of about seventeen or eighteen grandkids of my grandmother. And um, so I- when I was about four years old, my sister was two. My uh, grandfather, my my grandmother's husband had a really bad stroke okay and and it completely changed his brain and it changed um his personality which was never ever the same since you know he spent 12 years living after that where he was a different person and he knew that Mm -hmm. and everybody around him knew it and he had this like deep shame about it but what's relevant is that just my grandmother who had been pretty tough like and who hadn't really had that much issue with depression like became sort of like heavily suicidally ideated and just turned into when I was very, very young, like just kind of like an emotional disaster. And my mom, who's the oldest of her family, felt this like incredible sense of responsibility for that. And um, basically, my experience of that kind of came to a head when I was about five, because um, right after my grandmother had gotten some really bad news about my grandfather's mental health and about his health in general, we went uh, to West Texas to this sort of desert park called Big Bend oh, yeah. for a week. We drove all the way out to West Texas. And then, you know, I remember seeing this like scorpion, like this is like sort of like my first like sort of cinematic memory was coming back from Big Bend because I remember driving in a car going about 75 in the back seat. My grandmother's in the front seat driving my uh, aunt, my mom's younger sister is in the front passenger seat. I'm in the back and my sister who was at the time two, about to turn three, I was five, were there. And I just remember like the, the vehicle was like kind of like drifting off of the road, okay? Mm-hmm. Started mm-hmm. to drift and, and we we're going about 75 miles an hour. And then we go off the road, the vehicle flips and it like crashes. And then, you know, there's glass like blow, like blows inside the vehicle. This is before there are airbags, so there's no airbags. Okay. And the vehicle flips over. And I, what I remember was just pushing the door out, um, getting out of the vehicle, like, turning over to try to look back inside the vehicle and my sister sort of hanging upside down by her seatbelt, like bawling. Okay. It's like, that's like an incredibly vivid memory for me is just her hanging upside down in the car crying. And then I crawl back in, I get her out of there. I mean, thankfully nobody was really hurt, but you know, if, if there had been in like another oncoming vehicle, there's probably like a 50% chance somebody would have been killed or um, much more than that. And, and what we found out afterwards was that my grandmother fell asleep because she was like having so much difficulty dealing with her like um, like sense of grief and loss and just her like negative emotions right mm-hmm. and it really affected my mom and you know my grandmother like had to live with me in the same room when i was like five six seven thereabouts a couple years and my sister was always having like emotional arguments with my mom and it was just like i was like really young that i kind of just cut off from my I I felt like I had to be like the strong person like as everybody around me was losing their shit big time Mm -hmm. because of their kind of inability to deal with 
whatever was going on with them. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of decided that I wasn't going to have that problem because this situation's dire enough, you know, cause I mean, we easily could have been killed. Like my mom, like my grandmother's inability to like, deal with her shit kind of almost killed us or almost killed somebody else. And I, and I, I never had that thought stated that bluntly until recently, because when I was a kid, I think it was too much for me to think about it like that. Like I just didn't, I didn't think about it in such like stark terms, but that's literally what happened. And, um, you know, and I told, and I recently like told my mother about this and she was like, well, first of all, she immediately starts crying, but then she says, you know, yeah, when you were a kid, like I was so preoccupied with my parents, I felt so much responsibility for them. Like you really didn't have, you really didn't have a chance to be a, um, like just vulnerable little kid. Like I, I wasn't getting that as much attention and to mm -hmm. the extent that I was feeling freaked out or upset, like nobody was paying attention to it because there were other sort of more like dire situations. So yeah. I don't know, I guess I, I got really kind of cold and kind of mean as a result of this because I'm not natively, like I'm not an eight, but that's what they thought that I was because I kind of became I don't know. I, I really lived out that fixation pretty intensely when I was a young kid. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to the point where like, even when I talk to my sister about it still, she's like, she still is like, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're a three. I just kind of don't see it. I see yeah, you. Okay. I, I, because, because her memories of me <clears throat> being like a bully or just being a, you know, just being a jerk or just were, are, are, are like too intense that that's what she, that that's just how she's going to see me. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's sure. kind of what what sort of prompted me into this because I, I've I carried around a mistype that was based on the way that they saw me, which I feel like was what they needed me to be because they needed somebody they needed somebody to be able to hold the, to not have that problem, to not have their, you know, like their guts like spilling out all over the place to the point where it's creating messes for other people to clean up, you know? Yeah. And so that so I I was like I can't put up with, you know, I'm not putting up with anything. Like I'm not, I'm not having weaknesses, vulnerabilities, like, no, you know, cause that, I thought they needed that from me. Right. Right. Yeah. So and you said, yeah, one of the things you said in your email that was striking for me was that <laughs> the world wasn't safe for you as a three or as a, as a young three, it wasn't safe yeah. for you to be a three or something it, like that. Yeah. It, it didn't, it didn't because Mm -hmm. there's a certain level of vulnerability that I think is associated with being a three. And I think people see, I think people know about that, but I think they also kind of, they overestimate, they underestimated and they overestimated in, in weird ways. But, sure. you know, like for me to be sort of like, <sighs> this is hard. Um, it's hard to talk about, but it just didn't seem like, having to try like i i needed to not give a crap about what they thought about what i was doing because i didn't think that they were up to nurturing or nourishing the side of me that needs that admiration and that needs the respect and it needs the positive feedback and needs to be put in a high social position or or, or whatever or the generic kind of three tropes like that that are that are in a way kind of true for me mm. is like, they don't have like, 
there's no bandwidth here to give me that kind of attention. Like I, yeah. I'm just here to, I, I just need to be as tough as I can and not need that from them. And, and my mom's even been like, yep, we were preoccupied. We weren't going to get, you know, you weren't going to get that. So yeah. I didn't. And yeah. I, but I, but I'd like train myself. I mean, I, I didn't know that this is what I was doing, but in a way it's come to, I've come to realize this sort of what I was doing. I just, I trained myself and I trained myself and I trained myself to ignore not getting what I, uh, you know, kind of emotionally needed from, from that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's the, I don't know if that's clear <laughs> at all, but, but, so, oh, but sort of like that, because I went, because I adapted so much to this like level of like internal rejection, like no, there's nowhere to go. You know, you've got rejection in the yeah. body, you've got rejection in the mind, you've got rejection creeping up on the heart and it's, it, there's nowhere to go. So it's sort mm -hmm. of like just adjusting to that unhealable wound of existing. That's like, it's not like I can go to my head center and escape from it. Right. No. Right. It's there right. everywhere. And so the, because of that, I just, I, I just adapted to, I attached to that set of circumstances to such a degree that they don't even like, they, they don't necessarily see me for who I am today. They still don't. Yeah. Right. Right. And isn't that, I mean, that's crazy to think about. It's remarkable. Yeah. And it's very clear what you're saying. And I want to just, I want to get a little bit of context real quick sure. is in terms of where are you at in your journey of processing this or talking through it? Like, have you worked with people before or is the Enneagram, has it been a useful tool for you in terms of understanding, contextualizing that or like, yeah. or is this, are you kind of new? Is it fresh for you to talk about it? It's fresh for me to talk about it, um, yeah. but it's, but I mean, I've known about the Enneagram for 22 years, but I spent 91% of that time. I spent 19 of those years kind of ignoring it in a way, mm -hmm. right? Like the Enneagram is so powerful. You know, we know people in the community that have been into it for a year, two years, and yeah. they're like completely into it because it's so powerful. But for me, I was like resisting looking at, like too closely at this for a long time. Right, right. And I think that's yeah. kind of consistent with what I'm saying because it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I have a number of friends that are interested in the Enneagram that I know. I mean, people in my life, you know, um, you know, when I was talking to my mom about this stuff last time she was in town in December of 2022, her first question was kind of like, what do you think you're getting out of talking about all this stuff, out of bringing all of this stuff up? And I'm like, well, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm just processing these things that I never gave myself permission to even think I was experiencing when I was like much younger. But yeah. it explains why it explains why they don't see. It explains why the the sort of the trained eye of the the people that I've talked to in the Enneagram can see that I'm a three pretty easily, and it's not very challenging to see that. But mm -hmm. people that know me really well from way back when just don't know to what extent that I adjusted myself to provide strength that I saw themselves as just completely not having. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like I don't have an A fix, but it's almost like, like I'm a, you know, it would have been easier for them if I was, if I was born as an eight, it would have been easier for me to be that, but I guess not, you know, <laughs> I've, I mean, uh, it, yeah. it would have been in a I'm, way they would have had other I'm, problems. I'm pretty struck by uh, how fresh this is for you to process. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
you know, I just want to say thanks for trusting me with this and the, the community that is going to watch this with with this. And it's it's pretty remarkable to see you kind of beginning the process of uh, excavating this and and come to terms with it and contextualizing the context of you being a three. Um, mm -hmm. And one thing that really stood out to me from a few minutes ago when you were talking about like the way that you set up your life and staying constantly in motion was um, a way to kind of keep this under the surface and not to look at it. And that includes, um, I imagine, uh, working, working a lot um, as a lawyer and maybe the way you've set up your family life and stuff like that. I don't know. It'd be for you to reflect on. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that's really interesting to me too, is that even the way that you've engaged with the Enneagram um, for a really long time has been a part of the pattern that has kept this stuff under um, under investigated. Um, it's very interesting to me. You see what I'm saying? Totally. I mean, and, and I mean, it's almost like I need a guide to go in there because I've witnessed, I have witnessed people, many people who firsthand have been not able to deal with like whatever was going on with them internally them looking at it kind of tore their world apart and it affected everybody else around them. And it's sort of like looking at that fact kind of turned me to stone in a way where I just didn't want to look at this. I, I didn't want to look too closely at what was going on because I was pretty much neat. Like I kind of, yeah. So, um, yeah, but I mean, there's like a lot of, you know, I, I don't want to give an impression that's like too negative. And that's one of the things I was worried about going into this is like, I don't want to, I don't want to be too depressing, but I mean, these are, or too heavy, but like, these are, I mean, that, that was heavy to do. That was a lot for a five-year-old, you know? Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> I yeah. mean, and I, I, I'm not trying yeah. to think about, you know, this is, you know, cause I mean, I did have like a pretty good childhood in, in most ways. I mean, I'm not, I know there's a lot of people in the world that have been through a hell of a lot more than I have, and I'm not mm -hmm. discrediting that or ignoring that. I'm not. I'm not, I, I don't see myself as a victim, but it sort of explains some of the things that we've been talking about. Sure. You know? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And also, um, it, that really helps to understand your use of the phrase coming out as a three. Um, right. um, can I read a short paragraph you wrote in your email with that? Yeah, guess. Go that for it. yeah. So you said coming out as a three is awkward language, but there is some merit to it in my case. I don't feel indestructible inside. As a 358, I feel like a cat that's used up seven lives already. I can't yeah. take that big of a hit twice. So I put right. a lot of pressure on myself to, for, to perform my high wire act, knowing that the stakes are high. I can push the envelope, but there's a limit to it. Yeah. Why do I feel that way? It's an honest question. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, that's, yeah, because I don't, and that's kind of part of the, mystery is that you know it's like i'm i hide my own degree of high, like sensitivity from myself even because i act in a way that's consistent with me being less sensitive than i actually am but deep down i know that there's like a risk associated with that because i'm not somebody that's capable of just taking too hard of a hit from life you know it's like it does matter to me i mean sometimes I go into things where I'm like, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a bleeding heart type. I hope nobody notices, you know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? Yeah. Like I hope nobody notices that. And I, you know, I'm pretty good at hiding it, 
and mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at putting on a face that serves the purpose that needs to be served. But, you know, it impressed me that you were kind of wa- like you watched that. And I, and I said a lot of things in our last interview and I kind of was trying to be impressive. And I mean, like some of it probably kind of was, but you still kind of were, eh, you saw that and you're like, yeah, this is not really what's going on in there. And so yeah. it, it it's, it is, it is possible to see through it, but you know, I, I definitely, the cat with seven, the cat that's used seven lives is kind of, I, I feel lucky to some degree, but I, I don't feel indestructible. Yeah. And even if, you know, if I come across that way, if I come across impenetrable, well, I'm not. Yeah. But it, it's a use it, for some reason, maybe just from being really, really young and having to, like, there's sort of a vacuum of, of strength that needed to be filled, you know? I, yeah, I, just, I get that. What's the, I have two questions you pick. Good. Um what's the nature of your sensitivity? Like what kind of stuff do you get sensitive about and what happens for you? Um, the stuff. And then I and can then only, a, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Well, let's this, go to the second the, question. The, the other question is, is related to it. And it's, I wonder what your experience was like um, t- to receive my first email and to basically realize what you were realizing, which is, Oh, Josh didn't really buy it this thing that I was putting out. Um, he was seeing through something else to, to something else. Okay. So the questions were, what does it feel like to be see through, seen through in a way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, the first question was, um, well, what can you ask me the first question again? Yeah. Sorry. The first question is about the nature of your sensitivity. Like what kind of stuff do you get sensitive about and what happens for you? The nature of my sensitivity and what was it like to, um Mm. to sort of be seen through yeah so yeah i think i can use the second question as as a lead into the first one yeah um i did the same thing that i always do which is i immediately kind of recognize that this is that i have i i now have a problem that i need to attack and solve because i'm sort of like (laughs) Uh in a way I mean, I had reached the same conclusion and I was impressed in that way because, I mean, we both have the same sensibility and that we're both social threes. Like you have an audience, like I have an audience, you know, it's, it's sort of, there's a level, same level of awareness about what could be going on. So I was Mm -hmm. able to kind of be like, okay, well, well there, we we both have, and and we both have reached a similar conclusion. (laughs) Yeah. And and I, I, I didn't reach a conclusion. I wasn't like predicting your behavior, but I was reaching a conclusion like, yeah, okay, he's he probably shouldn't put this out there for like, cause if I'm him, I'm probably not putting it out there for a variety of reasons. And then mm-hmm. um, the fact that you reached that conclusion, I'm like, okay, well that was smart. But I mean, yeah, like, is there a sensitivity about that? Do I have like emotional pain about that? I think I kind of, w- what would make sense for me to do is probably what I did, which was I, I would try to avoid any kind of sense of, I-, I would be trying to avoid experiencing any sense of like hurt or disappointment that's associated with that by, intellectualizing it and and sort of trying to look for some way to turn it you know make some lemonade out of the lemon or whatever um sure and so i i it's a reminder it's a reminder that i it's a reminder of like the extent to which i'm willing to to try to avoid looking at some of the things that we would have to look out to really have a useful conversation about type three so it just reminded me of the extent to which I'm doing the pattern even now. And I think that's, 
I mean, yeah, there's there, there, there's some some uh, kind of some like a tinge of social rejection associated with it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's pretty like in other words. I'm able to deal with that because I'm able to understand, like, because I'd already basically reached the conclusion that it that it would have been a reasonable thing for you to do, right? So, so I guess that's, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much of a cope it is, but it's it, it's at least partially a cope to think of it that way. But it's also, I think, the truth. So it being the truth goes a long way for me. Yeah. Um, and then it, you know, in terms of like what I'm sensitive about. I'm sensitive about being surprised and I'm sensitive about uh, I'm sensitive about being surprised for one thing. And I'm, and I, I kind of want to get into, I feel like this, that question is kind of pulling me into almost like the transactional nature of, of rejection, right? It's sort of, as long as we have an agreement about what, what's supposed to be happening and what's, what we're supposed to be doing. I don't, I don't feel like I can be rejected because, you know, we, we've come to an agreement about what it is that, that you're trying to accomplish and what I'm trying to accomplish and what, what, like, what are the kind of the terms of the game? If, if the game has been called and we've both agreed to it, then win, lose or draw, you know, I can handle the outcome. But in terms of, I, I kind of get sensitive when, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to really describe, I mean, words are going to fail me here, but I'm going to try anyway. Um, you know, it's just I, I get sensitive about a whole host of dynamics that that could be present, and I don't want to be, you know, hurt or rejected in a way that isn't something that I had considered ahead of time. Yeah, that's and, and that kind of gets into like the lack of spontaneity. And, yeah, and sort yeah, of like yeah. the planning. It's sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. because I just on some level I just feel stupid. And I feel like an idiot when I get drawn into something and experience a negative outcome that's unchosen. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do do think that my my head does kind of pull me in the direction of, of like having some trouble with spontaneity. That's fascinating to me because it tracks with the sequence of our email exchange. Mm-hmm. Because your initial response <clears throat> to my email was amazing, um, and almost it was like sort of cerebral and legalistic. Almost it was like acknowledging point to point to point, and then it was yeah. like, if you would like to do a, a redo, then I would like topics in advance, and then there's gonna I would need to prepare for it, and then it was sort of like, and if that's amenable to you, then we can move forward. And then as we as we kept exchanging, then it was my experience of you was that you kind of uh, softened a little bit, and then actually started even suggesting topics yourself that were the kinds of things that would be very difficult to prepare for. Um, mm-hmm. And it was almost like the sensitive reaction of like the wince, and then the three five stem competence, like okay, here's how we're gonna like do this now, and then. And then the subsequent softening as, as what, as you started to feel a little safer, as you started to warm up to the idea of, um, unearthing this stuff and exposing yourself or what? Yeah. I I thought, I thought it was important for me 
to see you recognizing some of my concerns about getting into some of this stuff. Yeah. And I thought that at the point where you were kind of giving me some room to say, you know, I am concerned about saying too much. I am concerned about this being used against me. I'm concerned about lots of negative information about, you know, Mm -hmm. personal matters like psychological matters. Like there, there's some genuine legitimate concern about that. Right. And, you know, I don't want to spontaneously say something that I, that, that could be used against me you know, because I have responsibilities and I have things to lose and I don't want that. That's unchosen. I have a lot of sensitivity about that. Right. Right. So yeah. having so bringing some kind of like transactional logic to the situation, sort of like, well, I, I'd like to know what you think that I can talk about that would be relevant to, to what we can discuss. And, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to give it my best effort. And really what happened is I, I spent a couple of days, you know, mostly just by corresponding with you brainstorming. And then I I don't have anything in front of me right now other than the screen. We're just talking. I mean, I have this yeah. Yeti, but you know, that's it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Cause yeah. I think there's some level of like, I wouldn't want people to under, uh, I wouldn't want people to under emphasize. <laughs> I wouldn't want people to underestimate the paranoia and the need for secrecy that can be present with with this trifix generally that's good right yeah yeah because it's not necessary it's it's fascinating really because like you this you know trifix is three is like i think i've met i've met one person in my entire life who i'm highly confident is a three with five and eight okay and it's sort of an interesting thing to observe externally Mm -hmm. because you have the sort of Darwinian three eight stem sort of that's sort of clearly competitive and it's clearly assertive and it's clearly willing to, you know, break some eggs to make an omelet. Like that's its own agenda and it's willing to use its elbows and all that good stuff. Yeah. But then you, and that's like very obvious and very naked and very out there for the world to see. But then the, the, the withdrawn head, is highly confusing to observe in in um in in like the same sort of matrix right because mm-hmm. so it's sort of like you, you see the three eight stem and it's, it's obvious that the person is is engaging in activities that are you know competitive furthering their own self-interest etc but then the the withdrawn head makes all of the details kind of completely opaque and it's sort of like that and I tend to like, and I remember like regarding such a person with like quite a bit of suspicion because sort of like, well, what's really going on with this guy? <laughs> you sure. know what I yeah. mean? It's sort of like, <laughs> yeah. because it's, you see, you see the, you see the intention, you see the agenda, you see the sort of assertiveness, but you don't see what they're going to do to try to fulfill that. It's like very kind of, it's, it's, it's just kind of weird. Like, I don't know. I don't know how yeah. to describe it. Anyway, <laughs> well, I, I remember this, being just, yeah. go ahead. I was going to just actually read another paragraph or two that you wrote in your email um, that directly relates to this. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. You said, the main topic I would add to the list you sent is why the hiddenness, why the secrecy, why the stonewalling, why the fear of self-revelation even to yourself? What is so scary about admitting you're human and acting accordingly? Why live in fear of clandestine cloak and dagger shit that never happens? Why be so constantly concerned with the truth that people aren't telling you 
the truth that lies behind the wall of civility and normality. And then actually, I think I'll read the rest of it. Um, these questions concern me because they weigh on me, but I don't necessarily have any answers that aren't deeply uncomfortable. The tip of the iceberg is that I've often felt like other people don't like me or appreciate me for who I am. And as far as they're concerned, they don't have the time or interest to find out. I was weird in quotes. And not only that, I live in fear of the rug pull, the mistake that cost me dearly. The cat, that's the cat who's used seven lives image I spoke of earlier. Beneath my so-called impenetrable facade, there is a confidence and solidity, but there's also the knowledge that I'm not unbreakable and I can't take too hard of a hit twice if that makes sense 358 is the lone wolf assassin per david gray which is deeply flattering to my self-image but there's an element of stealth and secrecy and hiddenness that goes into it that's related to a terror of being discovered lest the mission we have sacrificed so much for so long be lost yep i don't know what the hell i was talking about josh <laughs> first i mean first of all you're a beautiful writer this is good stuff thanks um but well, are you being tongue in cheek or is that? No, that you, was a total really joke. I just thought, yeah, yeah, yeah that, okay. there you go. You got me. No, yeah, that, that's definitely yeah. a joke. I mean, I know what I was talking about. I mean, th but it's <clears throat> it's more question than answer. I mean, they, you know, th there's a process that would have to mm -hmm. go into trying to figure out what the answers to all those things. Right. Um, I don't know. I just, I think that there's a certain degree of, you know, like if we think about it in terms of, of a core three has a need for others to recognize the value of the self that the self can't give to itself or mm -hmm. yeah you yeah. know yeah it's like good. the ex uh -huh. external the, the framework that provides value is external rather than internal at least that that's the the, the myth or the self-deception right mm -hmm. so um to me that's it's sort of if I were to be open and honest and direct about why I'm doing what I'm doing and what my, you know, that I want you to think that I'm great at this thing that I'm trying to be great at, you can just defeat me every time by just saying no. So I, I sort of want, like, in mm. other words, people can always thwart like a three's objective simply by refusing to give them the approval or admiration or validation that they're seeking, right? Like yeah. you could put, you could create an evil natured computer to tell you every time that the answer is no to your, you know, it's like you, yeah, you, you can yeah. deny the heart can be so easily denied. It seems to me, it, it seems very pot. It, it seems, it seems very um, like weak and vulnerable in that way, you know, and, and, and culturally yeah. like culturally not to open that can of worms, but there's, there's a lot of disrespect for, the heart there's a lot of disrespect for emotions particularly you know if, if you're if your gender is male there's an added layer of to it than that you know you're not supposed to be you know ha like heartful you're not supposed to have all these emotions and in, in, in care about what yeah. other people think man there, there's actually, so much to that i would love to go in this direction i think it's really powerful especially just like social three is so absorptive and and, and um, can't help but be in relationship to that cultural milieu, uh, you know, the yeah. values and the culture. And the kind of anti-heart thing that you're pointing to is uh, certainly as a social through myself, something that I experience a lot and um, feel like I'm on a sort of rageful <laughs> um, war against in a certain sense. Um, 
I mean, actually, in a sense, for me, that's what this interview series is about, is bringing, bringing more of a heart sensibility uh, to places where it doesn't normally go. And anyway, I'm really curious a about... A rageful the, war, you said. I, it's, that's um, not a very normal... Uh, <laughs> That's not. Those aren't the words I'm expecting you to say. I know. I know. What is the rageful war? What's that about? For me? Um, yeah. If you don't mind my asking questions. Yeah. No. That's. I'm happy to. Um, yeah. For me, it's. Um, so I do a lot of executive coaching. Um, this is. I'm going to get at. I'm going to get at a very personal thing here, but through a professional lens. So I do a lot of executive coaching, and I find myself just amazed and bewildered at how often I have to be an advocate for the quote unquote human dimension of work. Totally. Yeah. Totally it is incredible. That. It is just like, and, and my, and I refuse, I refuse to stop being shocked about it. Like I, like it is shocking to me that I have to be an advocate for relationship itself that, and there is an amazing blind spot in so in generally corporate America and even the startup world, which um, for the most part, the startup world is a little bit more kind of empath empathically oriented than sort of traditional corporate America. But even so, you know, I work with a lot of startup founders that haven't quite figured this out yet, that empathy is important and that emotions are important and that it's a useful thing to pay attention to the emotions of not just yourself, but the people around you and that there are emotional impacts happening um, in interpersonal relationships all the time. And that, that actually, um, creates, uh, friction or lubrication and uh, on the work process that psychological drag builds up because people's emotions aren't being attended to. And as a, I'm, ex I'm an extremely sensitive person as a social three, but also as a triple attachment type, it's just like, uh, my nervous system is extremely sensitive. And, um, you know, I remember as a kid, I was, I like, pretty much <laughs> like up through fourth grade, I was, it was a good day if I didn't cry at school kind of thing. Like I was Damn. very, very sensitive, um, as a kid. Hmm. And I think that there's a, a way that because I'm a three, I've, I've had this ambivalent relationship with trying to adapt to a world that is somewhat emotion blinds or empathy blinds. But knowing that in my deep, deep core, like I'm a sensitive person and that I, and I actually care about sensitivity and it's kind of a, 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 a place that I would want to plant my flag in terms of what I represent in this world is being an advocate for this kind of, for interiority and for sensitivity. And so my, my rageful war, I mean, that is a, that is certainly an extreme statement, but there's, there's kind of an emotional truth and resonance to it. Cause I feel just like fucking enough is how I feel about yeah. the world, not caring about this. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I definitely see that. I mean, like the business world and, I mean, that's just one place, but I mean, even in pop culture, even in, you know, memes, yeah, even on yeah. the internet, you know, it's like, have we hurt your fifis, like, et cetera. Like, it's just, there's, there's so much disrespect for the, and I mean, like some of it is, is justified in, in, in a way because yes, the, it, the heart is somewhat exploitable in that way by an inhuman sense of identity. Like if you, if you could lie to yourself enough, then you could probably be able to overcome it as much as you want but it's a you know it's people don't want to admit that they even have this part of themselves in a lot yes. of ways because it makes and i mean like yeah because it's like <laughs> huh? because the head always wins in a way the head knows how to win like that contest if it wants to 
but not really. But not really. Like it's it's uh it's hard to describe. I mean, it's, the words are failing me at this particular moment. It seems, but because what you said is definitely accurate. I I have something I want to share with you that I'm curious if you relate. To. I I have a feeling you're going to relate to this. So one of the things that that I find to be kind of concerning to me about me being a three and caring about this is that as a, it's like, I'm a heart type and I'm, and I am definitely a heart type. Mm. Um, but I'm so adaptive that it's like, I'm, I'm also in certain cases when I'm not really, really careful or or vigilant about myself, or if I'm just sort of playing into my pattern as opposed to my, the conversion of my pattern or like my higher self, then I'm actually part of the problem. You know, I'm, I'm part of the system that, um, buries the heart, uh, cause I'm burying my own and, um, and I'm kind of like going cold to others as well in the process. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes a good friend to like, uh, knock me with their elbow or something like, bro, like, you know, you've lost yourself again Definitely. and, and come back home to my heart. Um, but there's a way that as a three, I feel like, um, I feel like an advocate for this sensibility. I feel like it's my, in a sense, a vocation to bring heart, um, and to be, to be a, um, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I'm, 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 yeah, go ahead. I, yeah, you go, you go. Or you want me to finish I mean, the thought? Yeah, finish the thought. For, for me, the thought is, is it's like, on the one hand, I kind of, I want to see myself in some kind of like rebel alliance that's bringing heart sensibility, you know, to the empire. Um, sure. On the other hand, um, I am, I get nervous about how, like, it's, it's, it's almost like because the attachment type thing is almost a fundamentally receptive stance as opposed to a source stance. It's like, I want to be a source of heart, but um, in my pattern, it's like, I'm always in the position of wanting to receive um, love and admiration and heart from other people first before I'm willing to even open and, and reveal myself that that's something I care about. And so the reversal from receiver to source is something that I work with in myself a lot um, as a kind of, you know, work practice. So. To be a heart blind heart type is a paradox in itself. Right, right. Which is what you just described in a way. Yeah. You know, it's that you're, but but by the same token, you're <laughs> asserting the heart right? The heart type that's assertive is the heart type that's heart blind. And, and that's a literal, that's tautological. So yes, um, (laughs) the the fact is that those who don't have the same degree of connectedness to the heart center need somebody, even if it's coming at the cost of that individual person's own degree of, you know, presence to their heart center, like, that's what's needed to bring that message. Because it's mm-hmm. not gonna, it, it's it has to be, somebody has to be able to assert it and 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 wage you know conflict against the fact that people, just generally speaking, are not willing to own this part of themselves as much as some others in many cases. Right. I have a question for you about workaholism and mm-hmm. just how like it seems to me that part of the structure of your life that keeps everything in motion is is just working a lot like a three yep. and i'm curious your relationship to that and um yeah just how that operates in your life 
Yeah, I mean, my relationship to that is incredibly complicated and difficult to, to describe, but um, it's it's almost an absurd. It's almost an absurdity. Where okay, okay, <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. I mean, it's it's almost absurd because I, I've had the experience before of just being aware that I I would so much love to be somebody who could like feel content with themselves if they weren't working 70 hours a week to try to earn it. But then also awareness that if I didn't do that, I would just, I, I, I wouldn't be able to give myself the kind of affirmation that I can get from being somebody who is like, it's in other words, I, I, I understand that I need to be able to dial it down, but I also understand that I wouldn't know where my value would be coming from if I did which is sort of yeah. an absurdity. And that's right? a really, I mean, that's a really core three statement right there that yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. The human doing is real and that's mm. what it is. And, and, and I think that's the long-term, like that's the long-term evolution, right? I mean, am I going to be one of these people who's still squeezing every last drop of productivity out of a day when I'm 75? Cause I don't know how to do anything else and never learn. I mean, I, it's very, I mean, I know people yeah. like, who are exactly like that. I know people that are mm -hmm. older than that, that still, that, that, that are still doing it. You know, they're mm -hmm. still, they still need to be the guy who's, yeah. who's providing the, providing the services to get the value from other people. And I mean, that's like, okay, if there's, you know, it kind of, it's, it's hard for me to really even know where that's leading to, because I can see, I can see pros and cons of it. I'd like to have a sense of peace that would come from where it's like, it's not being forced. Like my, my type isn't forcing it on me, you know, mm -hmm. like where it's, it's, it's like, it's like being forced on me in a way. Cause sort of like literally if I, if I chilled out and, and I didn't fill up every single day with activity, 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 doing, 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 if I didn't do that, I would just kind of crush under the weight of not being able to, respect myself by myself for myself on my own terms yeah it, and what i what i think would be the sort of squaring the circle is having squaring the circle would be where i don't need it but if i want it then i can keep doing it you know yeah that that a more attracts where, where it's more chosen right where it's it's not just i'm, I'm not just like not inflicting just this on myself yeah. compulsively yeah Mm -hmm. so what that looks like is hard to say i mean I, I i'm literally that person like if i show up at the family reunion i'm not i'm going to bring my bags inside from wherever i got them i'm going to put them down and i'm going to immediately i'm not even going to say hello i'm going to immediately start doing whatever to, i'm going to start cooking i'm going to start preparing the food i'm going to start like i'm literally not going to stop for one second sometimes <laughs> like yeah. that's what it's like for thanksgiving you know it's like i show up i put down my bags all right where's the turkey what you know like doing the doing the work to start getting everything ready because everybody's going to have a good time whether they like it or not <laughs> yeah you know it's like it's like i literally don't slow down and people are like do you want to sit down for a minute do you want to have a cocktail i'm like i, I gotta do this turkey right now you know that's just how i am and, and it's like i don't slow down like i literally don't want to sit i don't want to sit down and just have to be quiet or just, and just listen to myself be like, okay, this is what it's like to be me for this one moment. I don't, I don't even want to do it. 
when I'm in yeah. when I'm in the like pattern big time. You know? Yeah, yeah. Something yeah. about I I keep I'm wanting to ask the question like what would surface for you in that moment? But I think it's kind of like everything that we've talked about in the last hour is the answer to that question. It's 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 a layer it's a layer of the answer. There's a lot of layers to it, I'm sure that I'm you know, the, the things we've been talking about or like the dynamics that are underneath what we've been talking about are affecting me in ways that I probably won't even know about for a long time, you know, because sure. it's, it's, yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to really get there, but it, 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 there's not necessarily finality to it, but that's okay. I mean, it, right. Yeah. I have to yeah. be. Are you motivated to keep, keep digging? Well, lately the answer is yes. Um, and I, I think there's good reasons for that because um, lately the answer is yes. And I just, ref you know, yeah, lately, yes. I think the yeah. answer is the answer needs to be yes. I'm curious where that motivation comes from. You want to hear the sales pitch or? Do you want me to try to struggle more than that? <laughs> um, what do you think? <laughs> uh, you want me to struggle more than that, but um, so the sales pitch is that it's actually relevant to the things that, that I do to try to distract myself from the answer. Sure. Um, okay. Because, you know, being, being, ra like being authentic is important. You know, when people, when you're not authentic, people can smell it on you and that's a weakness for pragmatic reasons. But yes, beyond that, yeah. Beyond that, um, I would say that uh, I'm trying to remember what, what we're talking about. Why? Why? Where does my motivation come from? Um, my motivation, to some degree, comes just simply from existing. I don't know where it comes from. It's just there. Yeah, it's just intrinsic in some way. It's just intrinsic in some way. It's almost like just an energetic. Like I'm just a manifester by nature. Like, and I think a lot of threes are the same, you know, we can manifest very easily and what we manifest is going to be what we think about. So be very careful what you think about, because that's, what's going to be coming to you in the end. So on the other hand, uh, it's kind of impossible to control what you think about, especially if you're a three and you're oriented to this kind of material. And therein lies a lot of the sort of, sort of darker themes that I was talking to you about in my email, because my inner world is dominated by domination. It's dominated by, you know, rejection themes. It's dominated by, you know, and people who understand object relations, like it, to some degree would understand that to, to be dominated by domination internally, i.e. by rejection themes is to be dominated by what you don't want. So if you think a lot about what's going on inside, you could very well be manifesting your worst nightmares in a way mm. like that you're, you're afraid of your, you're afraid of ha other people having control on you, like with sort of like an eight theme, or you're afraid of being unloved, like a two theme or uh, being sort of at oh. the mercy of a hostile universe, like a five, like the more you think about why you're doing that, it's like, there's, I think there's some concern on my part that you can just negatively manifest it. So one sort of shallow, superficial, limited solution is just to not think about it. So, um, because like you said, yes, but we manifest, yes, true. But what we manifest is what we think about, which is difficult to have conscious control over. Right.
Although the thing that's interesting to me about, so I love that point you just made, dominated by domination and the rejection object relation, orienting your mind to what you don't want. Um, it strikes me that in that paradigm, attachment is oriented to, in a sense, what you do want. Um, and you sent me this incredible voice memo over email uh, a couple days ago. Um, and one of the sort of like an Oscar winning speech sort of thing <laughs> about like, <laughs> about you your like, me. your, um, I mean, the essence of it is something like not giving up uh, um, on, on the heart, on your heart, on, on, um, on that part of you that is sensitive and wants something, wants, wants love, not just for yourself, but sort of like there was almost a universal sense of like, I'm not giving up for heart itself. Um, there's something about that that really resonated with me and was kind of inspiring to hear you talk about it. Um, and I, I could hear your like, almost like um, redemptive, triumphal, like emotional, like really, I'm not giving up on this kind of thing in that speech. Um, and so yeah. that I wonder, I mean, it's, it strikes me that that is whatever place that came from in you, that speech, um, is the part of you that is intrinsically motivated towards this, this kind of conversation we're having right now and the, and the excavation of your inner states and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in that, that started out with, I, I, I discussed some of the things I was talking about a few minutes ago where. I was mm -hmm. basically saying that you can always deprive like the heart with of what it wants simply if you know what it is, which right. is connected yeah. to the kind of need for secrecy in the sense of like, I guess dis in classical terms, like sort of like the deceptive quality, um, mm -hmm. self-deception mm -hmm. probably is much, you know, one way to prevent other people from understanding what you want so they can't deny it to you is for you to not even be aware of it, to tell it to them. And sometimes, <laughs> sure. sometimes, yeah. we, I, sometimes when it is my case, I don't even know if the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. It, it, almost like an MI5 who was given specific instructions that are very clear, but in terms of the, the reasons why it's like, don't ask, you know, I'm on a need to know basis and nobody told me. Like I, that, that's sort of how my, my relation to why I'm doing what I'm doing. I can often only understand why I did what I did in retrospect. Like it usually what I'm doing, yeah. usually my intentions are apparent to me after the fact, when I look at what I did and I imagine the, what I would be manifesting if I did the opposite of what I did, because that is why I did it with the last call. I look at it. I'm like, I didn't want to give away too much information about myself accidentally that could be used against me. That's why I did that. I understand mm -hmm. that now. I didn't understand it then. I didn't choose to do that, but that's what I did, and that's why I did it, as far as I can tell. And um, yeah, so that say. that that layer of that layer of like sort of opaqueness protects me from the understand protects me from the fact it the fact of reality, which is that others can deny you. The, if all you want is for me to think that you did a good job, buddy, you did terrible. Like, you know, that, that, that's like kind of the cynical, the, the cynical dynamic that I'm scared of. And, um, but I, I really don't believe because, because I'm a person, because I have a heart, I don't believe that that is what another person is really capable of doing. Like, I know that they're not 
an evil robot like i know that they're not i know they have a heart too and they and i can see it maybe more than they can in the same way they might be able to see me more than i can see myself in that way but it's like i'm not going to give up on pursuing what i want to do and in 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 what i care about and sometimes that's like hard to but it's hard to sort of negotiate the social reality of it because I'm, I'm aware that people don't always respect sort of what people don't always, I mean, people will work against what I want or people will work against, you know, the reasons why I want what I want if they know what it is. So there's, so, so there's some, there's some desire to kind of keep it under wraps, but by the same token, you know, I'm not going to give up on what I want and I'm not going to give up just in a general sense. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's hard. It's really hard to talk about, but I'm trying as hard as I can. You're, you're doing remarkably well. And I think that it's, um, there's a sense for me, there's just a, like an overall sense of, um, let me put it this way. The quality of, of your presence and your, um, just being in this conversation versus last conversation is like, um, radically different. I mean, it's just totally different in in terms of your, even like the pauses you're taking before you answer questions and stuff like that. Um, and the level of not just interiority, but it's, I want to use the word wet. (laughs) Um, like there's like an emotional, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, there's like an emotional, um, like yoke or something that is like at the center of this, like the egg has like, been cracked and it's yeah, exactly. A bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, I mean, last, I mean, in contrast to the last time, which was which was much drier, um, there's something mm-hmm. more, um, like primordial and alive, um, and uh, organic here, and that's very compelling to me. Well, um, I know that I'm yeah. going to fail to say exactly what needs to be said. You know, I know that I'm not going to be able to put into words things that are impossible to describe. One one way to, to, to tackle that reality is to say nothing. Another way to tackle that reality is to do what I did last time, which is to talk about something else. And then, mm-hmm. you know, another way to do it is to just sort of let myself mumble if if that happens or misspeak or say something inarticulate just kind of let myself fall if that's going to happen but mm-hmm. get up and say just try to try to explain it again because you know that's it yeah i mean not basically just like not giving up on the process because the process and the work is what's going to get the result right yeah well um you know i'm noticing the time and i um I'm curious how you're feeling now after having spoken about this stuff for the last hour and 15 minutes or so. And if there's anything that we left off the table that you want to bring up. No, I mean, I, in terms of leaving anything off the table, um, I haven't really been tracking. I, I didn't really have that much of an agenda. I think you've brought up a lot of the things that, that we discussed previously. And I, I think that we've covered a lot of the stuff that I think is interesting to, to that was implicated. That's interesting to talk about. And we've, should not discuss a lot of things that I think would have probably led us in the wrong direction. Um, in terms of, you know, like how I'm feeling right now, I mean, I, 
I'm I'm in the same kind of frame of mind that I was in at the beginning of the call in the sense that, you know, I'm just here to try to talk about some of the stuff that we that that's I think, you like I don't know I mean it's it's the same thing you know, mm-hmm. but I but I'm I'm glad that, I'm glad that you've you've been here with me to talk about this like I mean you say that I'm looking different and that I'm seeming different and it's night and day well I mean I could in some way kind of, it was my appreciation of your presence the last time was sort of that I could tell in a way that I was sort of like losing you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't good. think That's I've good. lost you here. If I have, then I'm unaware of it. I mean. Yeah. No, that's a, actually, that's a, can you unpack that point a little bit? What, that I was losing you or that? Yeah. You and you're just, you're aware. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, a really it was, it's the social smallest, free awareness too. It's the smallest things. just your uh-huh. kind of just overall facial expression and just your sort of, like I could tell when I was kind of taking the ball and running with it and kind of subjecting you to that (laughs) because you, you, it's sort of this sort of um, impassive facial expression that you would have. Sure. Yeah. You know, you're you're very kind of neutral. Um, You, you were not showing any emotion really, but your eyes were kind of like uh, unfocused, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like I remember yeah. seeing that at the time, and I remember just being like, "Well, you know, okay, I fine, but this is what I'm going to talk about." And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean, I love. It's just so. I love that as a dynamic because it is. I mean, for me, that's like, um, that's classic uh, triple attachment, especially with nine secondary kind of like dissociative. Um, I'm here, but I'm not really here. I'm just letting this kind of, I'm letting the ball of yarn just like unravel itself in whatever way it's doing it without really participating uh, fully or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, and I know that that's like not necessarily what either one of us wanted to happen, but it wasn't, I think, yeah. a, a waste of time. I don't feel in any way that that was a waste of time. I, still I don't, don't either. I mean, especially, I especially that it resulted also in our email exchange in this conversation because this is, yeah, it's pretty cool. It is, and and I mean, you know, we haven't met IRL, and so maybe it was sort of like getting to know each other. But that's the kind of the thing. It's like we've been able to, to roll with it, you know. We've been able to play uh, the ball as it as it lies. So, um, the fact is that you know I'm glad that that happened. I get in retrospect, and um, but just having some more intentionality, and for you being willing to sort of, first of all, I mean, I mean, I think I encourage you to be a little bit more assertive in this call, which which you are, but you know, maybe not as, as much as you needed to be last time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, direct the, direct the conversation and, you know, don't let me kind of, don't let me change the subject and then start running with it because I, I will do that as part of my overall pattern where I'm trying to avoid um, having to be too present to any sense of uh, like discomfort or right. I- any concern that I have or any con- like sensitivity that I might have. Cause you know, it, it would certainly be false for me to say that I, I don't care that, you know, your side of this conversation is rewarding to you as well. Certainly I want it to be rewarding to you and to anybody else that's willing to listen to it. So, um, but by the same time, I don't want, I, I do have a tendency to like try to win at all costs or, or, or be 
ruthless or whatever my objective is just you know my objective last time was i'm not really sure what what we're going to talk about so I, I really can't allow too much disclosure to happen that that would be potentially dangerous and right, like, right. there's something very dangerous about like what's in sort of the shadow of my imagination about what could happen if, if too much control is relinquished so um, and the and the microdynamic that you're describing of our conversation is itself just a really interesting thing. Uh, I just love that exploration because, and I, I'm we talked about it a little bit, but like um, you noticing me doing that uh, sort of passive here but not really here thing, and also me noticing you kind of just being the ball rolling down the hill, um, just with like momentum upon momentum upon momentum, you know, just kind of just, just doing and, and, and talking and, and your talking points and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that's so true. Cause like, I just yeah, do, yeah. I just do things. Like yeah. I will just do yeah. things like nonstop. Like I kind of yeah. don't necessarily think about it too much. Like, I mean, I think that might be getting into sort of body center sort of eight. It is. Fix. I like, think it's just kind of eight fix versus nine fix. Yeah. Like we just kind of do stuff. We just kind of get up and go. We just kind of do, do, you know, and it kind of accumulates mm -hmm. like sort of the thermodynamic potency where it's just sort of like the object in motion just stays in motion and it builds up speed, you know, mm -hmm. and that's just kind of something that that can happen if I'm not conscious of, of it. And like, and that's why I think, you know, typically I think a lot of people would hear like I'm not comfortable being really spontaneous. I think most people would hear that admission and think that it was an admission and they would think that it was sort of like a negative thing. You know, yeah, um, yeah. particularly in a more social, you know, or, or a more intimate domain where um, spontaneity is often viewed as like being a very positive or almost like healing thing where, you know, you, you, you're sort of liberated from having to be so premeditated and planned and deliberate and controlled. Hmm. But, you know, um, for me, like. I don't know. It's kind of my comfort zone to be more intentional. Yeah. But so if, if some amount of intentionality needs to be present for me to have like baseline level of comfort, but, um, being once like, I feel like you're comfortable with that dynamic being present in me. It's like, yeah, you know, I guess I'm kind of concerned about being spontaneously authentic and I, and I do have some issues with that, but the fact that you're willing to, to hear that and kind of be okay with it and humor me a little bit in that way. It gives me some of the willingness to be more unscripted and um, unpremeditated or what have you. Right. So that's good. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, positive. Yeah. That tracks that I, yeah, that makes sense to me. Cool. Well, you know, listen, man, I, uh, I wanted to tell you, I just, this is an, this has been an amazing conversation for me and I really respect you for pulling back the hood and kind of exposing yourself to the degree that you were aware of. Uh, yeah. Um, and Love it. just, yeah, as you said, the underbelly of this trifix must be, must be revealed. And it's, we uh, have to be, we had to, and that's, I think that's how we know that mm -hmm. we've done our job here is that you should not, if we're talking about what it's like to be somebody that's trifix, like neither one of us should be comfortable completely. Yeah, like we should not. If we're here Good. just having a comfortable discussion, whatever we're talking about, it's not the interiority of of three five. There you go. It's not. There you go. That's like, right. I gotta get That's uncomfortable. I gotta make you uncomfortable, and then we gotta deal with the aftermath of what comes from that. Because, 
it's not it like there are things that are going on beneath the surface that I, that are so uncomfortable that I probably don't even know about them you know like and I'm not <laughs> I mean it's just kind of true so yeah well thanks again for trusting me and us with your process here and I know that it's it's kind of fresh and I, I imagine there will be much more over the next few years as you continue to excavate the stuff. So I hope so, and I really hope so. Yeah. yeah, this won't be our last discussion. I have a feeling. All right, man. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for watching this interview with Kier, and I'm going to leave you here with the audio recording that he sent me in the email sequence, which I think speaks for itself. So please enjoy. I mean, the heart is in a way fucking just is more helpless than an infant child because the heart's game is to gain what is processable by the heart as approval, validation, respect, love and admiration. But if you were to pit the human heart against a computer in a game theory optimized game where the computer's job is to defeat the heart strategy, the computer will bat 100 and fucking zero. It is elementary as hell. Do you want to know how to defeat the three's core agenda? Don't give them approval, admiration, or validation. Just say no. Just say no. That's all that's required. That's it. That's all you have to do. And the three can't win anymore. Against the computer. I mean, fuck, you know, Gary Kasparov, Three Wing Four TED Talk, IMHO lost in the 90s to the supercomputer deep blue fuck you don't need a supercomputer like this is easier than tic-tac-toe you can deny the heart what it wants 100 percent of the time computer the computer wins the strategy when it, if the strategy becomes transparent if it becomes clear that the threes game is to gain admiration affection love uh applause approval etc for work and for achievements and accomplishments i'm no longer impressed fancy that how about that and that is such a brutal cold ice cold truth about reality for the heart shit man not to digress but why do people Talk about fifis. Why do people mock sentimental people? Why are feelings fucking despised? Why are millennia of toxically male evolution, socially speaking, stacked against emotion and the heart? Why do we believe that we need to have no fucking heart to succeed? Why is that a, a punchline? Why, why can I gainsay this argument by saying, ha, huh, I have no heart? Why? Because humans are rational. 
we're rational, we're logical creatures, and we know that the heart by an emotionless opponent can be defeated every last time. Every time. Not, not partial success, not mixed success, not win some, lose some. You never, ever win ever again, no matter what. That is the gravity. That is what the creature that hides in the dark of your fucking imagination is capable of. You never, ever, ever win ever again. And you lose all hope of it. That's what lurks there. That is the whack fucking mindset. And it's, it, it just, it's chilling for me to think about it. It's chilling as fuck. It's terrifying. But the heart, at least insofar as I've been representing it in the past minute or two or however long it's been since so it started rambling, like, the heart is smart enough to know that I can, I'm, I'm fucking acting in a way. I'm not, this is real as fuck, but I'm acting because I want you to think that I'm more vulnerable than I am because I know something that the computer doesn't. The computer doesn't know that it was created by a human and it was operated by a human and it is operated by a human and it will be operated by a human. We'll be so dead it's not even funny by the time that's even possibly not the case anymore. Okay? So... I know that you're not a computer, and I know that you know that I'm not a computer. So the fear of the computer 100-0 domination is, is not fully imaginary. It's simple logic, but it's not inevitable. I can move your emotions. You, you can move my emotions without my consent. I can move your emotions without your consent. You're movable in the heart. I don't give a fuck how hexad core eight you are. You got a motherfucking heart in there and your failure to notice it is a liability. Not all the time. Many times it might not be, but it's a fucking liability. You have emotions. You have emotions. And I will pry the validation that you human have the capacity to give me that, that I know that the computer never would out of your cold, dead fucking hands if I have to, if that's what it really comes down to, because I am not giving up. I'm not giving up. Not really. If you ever see me appear to give up, grab me by the arm pull me to a corner where nobody can hear the two of us and say, Kier, what's really going on here? Question mark. And I'll tell you. Because I am not giving up on what I am. I don't even, I don't even know what to say. Nothing I can say could really express it. 